Before we start, I want to recommend another podcast you can find wherever you found this one. The Industry by Dan Delgado dives deep into the weirdest, most forgotten chapters in Hollywood history. The latest episode is about a film called The Blue Bird, an attempt by Jane Fonda, Elizabeth Taylor, and others to try to thaw the Cold War by going to the Soviet Union. It did not succeed. Check out The Industry wherever you found this. And now, welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today our guest is Michael Waldron. He is the creator of the Disney Plus series, Loki, the finale of which airs this Wednesday. Michael Waldron has had an incredible career in a very short time. He's in his early 30s, but he's not only running a Disney Plus series, he was also recruited because of his work on that series to write the next Doctor Strange film. And he's working on a Star Wars project that he's not allowed to say much about. As you're about to hear, his influences range from Quentin Tarantino, to Indiana Jones films, to Mad Men, to Nora Ephron, to wrestling, to the wonderful Bill Watterson comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. Michael Waldron grew up in Atlanta and got his start working for Dan Harmon, creator of Community and Rick and Morty, among other projects. He was able to parlay an entry-level job into a writing job on Rick and Morty. I'll let him explain how he did that. He also created and is executive producing the upcoming Stars drama Heels about wrestlers, and he's co-writing and executive producing the upcoming baseball comedy Ten Cent Beer Night. I don't think you have to be watching Loki to enjoy this episode. Uh, all you really need to know is that Loki involves time travel. It stars Tom Hiddleston as Loki, the Norse god of mischief, who is the brother of the Marvel Comics superhero Thor, who is of course the Norse god of thunder. There is a small spoiler about something that happens in episode 4 of Loki, and I hesitate to even call it a spoiler because most people had some inkling that it was coming. And now, here's Michael Waldron, creator of the Disney Plus show, Loki. So Michael Waldron, welcome to Movie Maker. Congratulations on Loki, the show that is the only thing I see on Twitter. You've taken it over. I... I wanted to start by asking about a Vanity Fair article I just heard about you that I thought was very good. And one of the one of the opening anecdotes is that one of your big breaks was while a college student or while an MFA student at Pepperdine, you got a job on Rick and Morty and decided to get Dan Harmon's attention by starting a softball league. Well, it, it was starting a, a softball team in the Burbank Recreational League, um, which, yeah, at, I mean, at the time, I'm trying to think, I was probably 25. I was an intern, um, and I just wanted to get noticed. And I, and I, and so it felt like maybe a way to, to go to not just be the intern was to become the softball coach. Uh, and and I'm a baseball fan. I'm, and you know, it, it was at Dan's animation studio. That was kind of a newer company. <clears throat> we were doing the first season of Rick and Morty and I don't know, it's just company softball teams are a thing. And Dan walked by me one day and it might've been the very first thing I ever said to him was just, Hey Dan, if I start a, a softball team, will you play? And he was like, okay. Kind of, kind of like, daring me to actually uh go 
go to the community center and do that. And I, I called his bluff and, and now here we are. So that really is what caused it to happen, taking your shot. Yeah, that was, I mean, it, it's crazy, but I, I look, I mean, I guess I'd like to think that I would have, I was working there as the intern. I would have uh, <clears throat> befriended those guys one way or another, but that was a, that was a great way to frankly just become friends with Dan and with a lot of the other writers and, and people that I was looking up to at the time. Um, our center fielder was Tom Kaufman, who just wrote episode five of Loki. Uh, and so it's crazy. It's crazy to think back on that. And it, and it was a good, it was a good way to get my writing out there because I, I would have to send emails, you know, to organize the practices and the games and everything. And um, I kind of looked at it all as a bit of an audition. And uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it was rather calculated and, and disingenuous in a way. It, I, I hate the phrase three-dimensional chess, but it's very three-dimensional chess. I mean, it's very forward thinking. <laughs> I mean, it looks like that now for sure, because I guess it worked out and it, and it becomes a compelling jumping off point in the uh, origin story. <clears throat> I think that part of it was I just wanted to hang out with with Dan Harmon and, and you know, get to get to be around all these people that I looked up to. So so at the time it was just uh it, it seemed, seemed more fun to be messing around with the softball team than uh, doing coverage on, on scripts or whatever else I was doing as an intern. It's a real side door, and that's a very cool approach because so many people are banging on the front door, and you just found kind of a sort of step back and looked at it from a distance, and I think that's pretty brilliant, honestly. I think, you know, the and I still, I mean, I, I had gotten lucky because I had had a friend in grad school who had been working on Rick and Morty. And that was how I got in as an intern. So I still, I had that really lucky break just being in the building at all. Um, the thing, the thing that I did that I guess was that I always try to tell people is I made it very clear early on just that I wanted to be a writer. That's, that's what I did. I was, I was the intern who was an aspiring writer and, and very quickly everybody, came to associate we, me with that. So it, you know, there, I think that just, I don't know that, that advanced things quicker because people just knew that's what I wanted to do. Do you remember the first thing you wrote? I know you were a big wrestling fan growing up. You, you're very clear about your influences, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, wrestling. Do you remember the first thing you wrote thinking this would be a good script? This would be a good short story? Um, I mean, I think when I was in third grade, I wrote a story called Jim the Fat Cat, <laughs> which was about a fat cat named Jim who loved watching television. Hmm. And uh, then his TV broke. And so he entered a contest to get a new, brand new, like state of the art TV. And this is a competition against other other cats who were in much better shape than him. So Jim had to Jim had to get in shape and swear off against these guys in a wrestling match. Of course, it's all uh, there. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I re I revisited it recently. 
<laughs> the whole oeuvre is is uh is is there so yeah i guess i was i was kind of always telling stories and even when i when i would play with and i still do this i have the little gi joe action figures i guess like the four and a half inch or whatever those are i i was it was almost hard for me to play as a kid because i couldn't just like line them all up and have a battle it's like i had to i just had to have some stupid <laughs> backstory so there would be stakes to it uh and so i was just so I, I guess i was just always doing it as as a kid i probably just because i was uh it's what i felt like i was good at well i would have rather been a professional baseball player but <laughs> was there a writer in your life or was it just watching a lot of tv and wondering how they did it um no, it was just, it was, you know, there, it was watching TV, it was watching wrestling. I mean, I guess that was a, a bit of storytelling that I was drawn to. My mom was, you know, she was taking me to movies and showing me movies from the time I was very young. You know, I remember her showing me Terminator 2 and, and every, you know, she, she was an amazing um, supporter of just she could tell how much I loved movies and would let me sit and watch the Indiana Jones trilogy day after day after day. Um, and I guess, and I just read, I, I, I mean, I was, I'd say for <clears throat> probably 10 years straight, I was just always, I was reading Calvin and Hobbes on just repeat. Awesome. Never not reading it uh, because there's so much of it. You, by the time you get to the end, you've kind of forgotten and so Bill Watterson was a, was a huge influence just in like joke telling and, and like storytelling that, that, and, and making me want to write like that. How do you think he writes? Cause I, there is something really particular about Calvin and Hobbes and it's so charming, but I'd be hard pressed to explain what it's like to someone who's never read it. I think it's a, it's just a very, particular blend of um you know at times cynical uh very self-aware humor and and kind of uh yeah I, I mean just 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 very um not jaded but but just not afraid to be cynical humor but but with heart with heart to it. It, it, it just, it doesn't pull punches, but it, but it's also not afraid of being sweet. Uh, so, so, and I, and I, and I actually found, I think that's why later in life I was, I was drawn to like community and, and, and Harmon's writing because yeah. it, that's, that's the thing. It's like Rick and Morty is a show that can be very nihilistic in a way that Calvin and Hobbes could too. Maybe that's the word I was searching for is sometimes Calvin and Hobbes can feel very nihilistic. Um, but also isn't afraid to go to a place where, where it makes you cry because of a baby raccoon died. Uh, and, and Rick and Morty isn't afraid to make you feel stuff. And, and so a lot of times it's, it's like nihilism and heart are, are mutually exclusive in things. And, and the cool thing I, maybe that I took to, uh, with Bill Watterson was it felt like they could, they could really work together. That's very Loki. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Very much part of the show. But you weren't a comic book guy growing up. And that uh, Kevin Feige saw that as an advantage, as I understand it. Yeah, I, well, did, yeah, did I say he did? Maybe, maybe I, maybe I said that. I think, I think that he, I think that he, I think that is an advantage over there at times um, in that I'm just not beholden to, to sort of preconceived stuff. And, and, and when you're building these stories, you can sort of represent the, um, the viewpoint of, of the sizable chunks of folks who haven't read every age of comic books and everything. I, I can brush up on all that. That's stuff that I can research and become an expert on. Um, but, but you want, you want to try and tell stories for an audience who maybe also doesn't have all that information. Yeah. Huge advantage. And it, it is such a, even as a person who grew up reading comics, I am totally lost with the mythology around Asgard and Midgard and everything. I just don't remember. So I don't feel like there's a huge built-in audience of people who are furious that the Valkyries would never do that or something. Right. Um, I don't know. You know, something I've been thinking about a lot is Marvel movies. There's this idea that superhero movies have kind of displaced every other genre. And I think what Marvel has done is instead of displacing other genres, it's kind of usurped other genres. I mean, Black Widow was a spy movie. Loki is kind of a time travel story. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a Western at some point. Shang-Chi is a is a martial arts movie. Do you feel that way? I mean, do you just feel like you're just continuing genre, but through the lens of superheroes? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, <clears throat> I think to say that these, that the MCU now is, is just comic book. is just, is just superhero movies is, is reductive, honestly, because it's like each thing is so different. Look at WandaVision. I mean, yeah. That is so inventive and, and so different from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, which is so different from something like Captain America Winter Soldier, which is so different from Black Panther. It, like they're, you know, I, I think that if anything, the unifying thing is maybe just a feeling that they all make you feel a certain way when, when you think of like a blockbuster type thrill uh it's these mcu stories now it is a you know that i think that's they're really good at capturing that and bottling that and so the way that raiders of the lost ark made me feel as a kid i suspect you know thor ragnarok and and infinity war making kids feel now and so it's it's almost more a feeling than a genre yeah Getting a crack at Star Wars, which is one of the things you're doing next, and I know you're not going to go into details and I don't want you to ruin your plan, but that's such an overwhelming thing to imagine, to take on something like that. How do you just get yourself in the mindset and keep yourself from being totally psyched out by it? Um, well, it helps that I guess I've been dreaming about doing that my entire life. <laughs> uh, so, so I've had some time to to you know get get ready um you know and there was a lot of pressure and stuff with loki and then dr strange and, and ultimately you know you realize that these things they're that 
the reason I love Star Wars, what I what I love about it is it's got great characters. Yeah. Um, that that ultimately the things that make it great are when you boil it down, maybe fairly simple. And and so that's that's what you go searching for first. And that, that's that's how you that's how you make you know you, you take it one step at a time. Yeah. And I don't want any spoilers about the finale of Loki. I want to watch it and enjoy it. I know you won't give any anyway, but one of the things that happened very early on with Loki is everybody decided the timekeepers are bullshit. And the reason they decided that is I think they'd seen the power broker in Falcon and the winter soldier. And they thought nothing is ever going to be as it's seen or as it seems, you know, it's the little man behind the curtain, wizard of Oz type stuff. You're a huge student of television how did you play with those expectations and play with the realization that people were going to think something was up from the beginning? Um, I think, yeah, you, you try to, you try to kind of like put yourself in the shoes of the audience and not, not let, not let the audience be ahead of you of your story for, for too long. Certainly. At the same time, there I, I think there's a sweet spot where the audience does catch up or kind of knows, and you, you want to live in that free fall and, and let the characters live in that for a little bit. So it's, so it's like, how do you how do you calibrate all that? We this is it's probably something I, I picked up on Rick and Morty, which is really thrives on very accelerated storytelling. Um, letting blowing through big sci-fi concepts and, and moving the story very fast. Uh, so we, we weren't afraid to reveal that the timekeepers were uh, in fact a facade. We weren't, we weren't afraid to reveal that in episode four. Um, in fact, I think the only debate was, should we do it sooner? Hmm. Uh, um, and <clears throat> so, you know, it, it was, we, we kind of took it right up to the point where it's like, all right, the audience, the audience knows our characters know uh, they're one, you know, but, but also everybody also knows there's two episodes left. Yeah. They're standing in front of the timekeepers here. What is you, you've got, you know, you know that audiences are smart. And I think when you're writing, you've got to know that audiences are smart and you just, you just try and uh, I don't know. You just try and put yourself in their shoes and tell a story that, that would interest yourself in a way i did love what you did where at the start of episode four we enter that room and actually see their glowing eyes and i think for a second oh i guess they are real like that's the best twist of all right so right it yeah, was which, which was great and that and that was yeah that, that we, we were excited to in that moment I, I watched that episode with some friends that very much were thinking oh they're fake and and they were like, oh, my God, they're they, they couldn't believe it. Um, and so it's, you know, you're always walking the line of when do you want to subvert? When do you want to win is the most satisfying thing to take an expectation and, and like deliver. And, and that's, you know, I think that's what we all, especially in a. In a in a genre or in a. In a cinematic universe with so many fans and so much discourse around it that that's just the thing we're always trying to kind of figure out yeah and i want to close out by asking about another thing from that vanity fair story because i love promoting other publications um 
it, there's a lot about Nora Ephron and what an influence on you she was. Can you talk about where that came from and what you think you got from Nora Ephron in terms of your writing? I mean, I can see a lot of it in, in Loki, but from your perspective. Um, yeah, look, I love, I love Nora Ephron. When you met Sally, uh, you've got mail. I mean, yeah, I, I love, <clears throat> I, there's just something, the, co- the cool thing about a great romantic comedy like when Harry met Sally is it is ultimately such a mundane story as ordinary as it gets yet it becomes so thrilling just in its humanity. It's, it's proof that you don't need CGI. You don't need uh, explosions or anything. You know, when, when Harry finds her at that new year's party, tells her uh how he feels that that is as thrilling of a climax as any uh any war movie to me at least i could just be crazy um and and i just and so i guess what i what i learned from that and from that is that it's just the power of maybe just of two characters talking um two characters uh, coming together through, through dialogue um, and finding an understanding and building a connection. And, and that ultimately, you know, look at Quentin Tarantino. It, it's his, he makes tremendous action movies, but I would, I would argue that his most thrilling sequences are his great dialogue scenes, the opening of Inglorious Bastards. Um, the an inglorious bastards the conversation down in the basement in the card game is more thrilling than the shootout itself uh and so i think i think maybe that's what i learned and i, and I just watch the show clearly i love nothing more than just two characters uh sitting and talking and i you know so i guess that's what i took from it was just a, a love and an appreciation of that sort of thing are you reading the Tarantino novel? I am. I am about a hundred pages into it right now. It's amazing. It's so damn good. It's so it's so good, and it's it's just it's just different enough. It reminds me. I remember as a kid in, in middle school reading, and it's it's just a that he just did the mass market paperback thing. His own movie is so cool. Like I I remember reading the Men in Black uh, novelization, which was so. It was like, just like this. It reminds me so much. And it was like funny and weird and different. And I was like, wow, it feels like I'm really, I like Men in Black even more now. And, it, and it's like, uh, and that's what this feels like. And I just can't believe that Tarantino hit that bullseye so, so correctly. That was Michael Waldron, creator of the Disney Plus show, Loki. I'm Tim Malloy. You're listening to Movie Maker. If you've enjoyed this, please keep it a complete secret so that only you can enjoy it. Don't let other people in on this. It's just for us. Also, another cool and very secret thing. If you're a filmmaker trying to double your budget, Movie Maker Production Services can help you with that. For any film accepted into the program, the producer makes a certain investment and Movie Maker Production Services then doubles the value of that investment for almost anything you need to get the movie made 
editing, visual effects, color correction, you name it, using our network of contacts. We can explain more at moviemaker.com slash M-M-P-S. That's moviemaker.com slash M-M-P-S. Or just visit moviemaker.com because you like reading fun stories about the art and craft of making movies. All right. Thank you so much for listening. See you very soon. And in the words of Tony Soprano psychiatrist, Dr. Melfi, toodaloo.